0: Chapter Fourteen, Part One of Moral Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Moral Tales by Elizabeth Charlotte Pauline Guizot. Chapter Fourteen, Marie or the Feast of Corpus Christi, Part One. Decoration. At the commencement of the Revolution, Madame D'Aubecourt had followed her husband into a foreign country. In 1796 she returned to France with her two children, Alphonse and Lucie, for as her name did not stand on the list of emigrants, she was able to appear there without danger, and to exert herself to obtain permission for her husband's return. She remained two years in Paris with this intent, but at length, having failed in her efforts, and being assured by her friends that the time was not propitious for her purpose, she determined to quit the capital and proceed to the seat of her father-in-law old m d'aubecourt with whom her husband wished her to reside until he was able to rejoin her besides having no resources but the money sent her by her father-in-law she was glad to diminish his expenses by residing with him every letter which she received from him was filled with complaints of the hardness of the times and with reflections on her obstinacy in persevering in such useless efforts and to all this he never failed to add that as for himself it would be altogether impossible for him to live in paris since it was difficult enough for him to manage in the country where he could eat his own cabbages and potatoes these complaints were not suggested by poverty for m d'aubecourt was tolerably rich but like the majority of old people he was disposed to torment himself on the score of expense, and his daughter-in-law perceived that however economically she might live in Paris, her only means of tranquillizing him was to go and live under his own eyes. She therefore set out with her children in the month of January 1799 for Guicheville, the estate of M. de Becourt. Alphonse was then fourteen years of age, and Lucie nearly twelve shut up for two years in paris where her mother overwhelmed with business had but little time to devote to them they were delighted to go into the country and were but little troubled about what she told them respecting the great care they would have to take not to tease and irritate their grandpapa whom age and the gout had rendered habitually discontented and melancholy they mounted the diligence full of joy but as the cold gained upon them their ideas sobered down a night passed in the carriage served to depress them completely and when on the following evening they reached the place where they were to leave the diligence they felt their hearts as sad as if some terrible misfortune had just befallen them guicheville was still a league distant and this they must travel on foot across a country covered with snow as M. Daubecourt had only sent a peasant to meet them with an ass to carry their luggage. When the man proposed starting, Lucie looked at her mother with a frightened air, as if to ask her if that were possible. Madame Daubecourt observed that as their conductor had managed to come from Guicheville to the place where they were, there was nothing to prevent them from going from that place to Guicheville. As to Alphonse, the moment he regained the freedom of his limbs, he recovered all his gaiety he walked on before them to clear their way as he said and to sound the ruts which he called precipices he talked to the ass and endeavoured to make him bray and in fact made such a noise with his cries of take care of yourselves take care of the bogs that he might have been mistaken for a whole caravan he even succeeded so well in cheering Lucy that on arriving at their destination she had forgotten the cold the night and the snow their merry laugh as they crossed the courtyard of the chateau called forth two or three old servants who from time immemorial had not heard a laugh at guicheville and the great dog barked loudly at it as at a sound quite unknown to him they waited in the hall for some time when presently m d'aubecourt appeared at the dining-room door exclaiming what a racket these words restored quiet and seeing all three of them wet and muddy from head to foot he said to madame d'aubecourt if you had only come six months ago as i continually pressed you to do but there was no getting you to listen to reason madame d'aubecourt gently excused herself and her father-in-law ushered them into a large room with yellow wainscoting and red furniture where by the side of a small fire and a single candle her children had time to resume all their sadness they presently heard miss raymond the housekeeper scolding the peasant who had conducted them because he had put their packages upon a chair instead of upon the table see si, she said in a tone of ill-temper they have already begun to put my house into disorder the instant after alphonse rendered thirsty by the exercise he had given his legs went out to get a glass of water and perhaps also to obtain a moment's recreation by leaving the room he had the misfortune to drink out of his grandfather's glass and mademoiselle raymond perceiving it ran to him as if the house had been on fire no one is allowed to drink out of m d'aubecourt's glass she exclaimed alphonse excused himself by saying that he did not know it was m d'aubecourt's glass mademoiselle raymond wished to prove to him that he ought to have known it alphonse replied mademoiselle raymond became more and more vexed and alphonse getting angry in his turn answered her in no very polite terms and then returned to the dining-room slamming the door after him with considerable violence mademoiselle raymond immediately followed him and shutting the door with marked precaution said to m d'aubecourt in a voice still trembling with passion as you dislike any noise with the door you will have the kindness to mention it yourself to your grandson as to me he will not allow me to speak to him what do you say mademoiselle replied monsieur d'aubecourt is this the style in which children are brought up in the present day must we bow to them fortunately madame d'aubecourt was by the side of her son she pressed his arm to prevent him from answering his grandfather but he stamped his feet impatiently and did not speak a word until supper-time at table they ate but little and spoke still less and immediately after Madame d'Aubecourt asked permission to retire. When they were in the room which she and her daughter were to occupy, Lucie, who had until then restrained herself, began to cry, and Alphonse, walking about the room, in great agitation, exclaimed, "'This is a pretty beginning.' Then he continued, "'Mademoiselle Raymond had better take care how she speaks to me again in that style.' alphonse said his mother with some little severity remember that you are in your grandfather's house yes but not in mademoiselle raymond's you are where it is your grandfather's will that she should be treated with respect certainly when she does not clamour in my ears i believe indeed that you would not be guilty of any want of respect towards her did she treat you as she ought to do and if she does not i owe her nothing you owe her all that you owe to the wishes of your grandfather to whom you would be greatly wanting in respect were you capable of misconducting yourself towards a person who possesses his confidence there are persons alphonse whose very caprices we are bound to respect for we ought to spare them even their unjust displeasure then she added with more tenderness my dear children you do not yet understand what caprice and injustice are you have never been accustomed to them either from your father or me but you will do wrong to imagine that you will be able to pass your lives as you have hitherto done without having your rights infringed or your actions restrained when they are proper in themselves you must now begin to learn you alphonse to repress your hastiness which may lead you into many serious faults and you Lucie, to overcome your weakness which may render you unhappy then she added smiling we will serve together our apprenticeship in patience and courage her children embraced her affectionately they had unbounded confidence in her and besides there was so much sweetness in her disposition that it was impossible to resist her lucie was quite consoled by her mother's words and alphonse went to bed assuring her however that he was so much excited that he should not be able to sleep the whole night nevertheless he no sooner laid his head upon his pillow then he fell into a sound sleep which lasted until the following morning. When he awoke he was astonished to hear the warbling of the birds, for he had persuaded himself since the previous evening that they would not dare to sing at Guicheville. As for them, however, deceived by the warm sun and mild atmosphere which melted the snow, they seemed to fancy that the spring was commencing. This idea rendered them quite joyous, and Alphonse began to be joyous also, he ran about the park in the sabots which his mother had bought for him on the previous evening then he returned for his sister whom somewhat against her inclination he dragged through the mud of the park from which she did not so easily extricate herself as he did at first she found her sabots very heavy and very inconvenient one of them she nearly left in a hole and two or three times she almost gave up in despair alphonse sometimes assisted her sometimes laughed at her, promising to harden her to it. He returned home, pleased with everything, and disposed to put up with a good deal from Mademoiselle Raymond, whom he found to be better tempered than on the previous evening. Madame d'Aubecourt had not brought a maid with her. Mademoiselle Raymond, therefore, proposed that she should take into her service a young girl named Gautin, who was her goddaughter, and Madame d'Aubecourt accepted this proposal with her usual grace and sweetness, saying that recommended by mademoiselle raymond she was sure she would suit her mademoiselle raymond enchanted drew herself up bewildered herself in complimentary phrases and ended by saying that mademoiselle lucie had her mother's sweet look and that m alphonse though a little hasty was very amiable m Daubecourt's temper experienced the good effects of this return to a friendly understanding when mademoiselle raymond was out of humor every one in the house was so likewise for every one was scolded she was naturally kind-hearted but easily offended subject to prejudices and being accustomed to have her own way she feared everything that might interfere with her authority but when she saw that madame d'aubecourt interfered with nothing in the house she laid aside all the bitterness which had at first been produced by her arrival m who had hesitated between the desire of spending less money and the dread of the confusion which might result from the establishment of his daughter-in-law at the chateau was comforted when he learned that madame d'aubecourt had refused to pay any visits in the neighbourhood alleging that her present situation and that of her husband did not permit of her seeing any one besides she was careful to conform to all his habits so that everything went on smoothly provided that alphonse and lucie scarcely spoke at dinner because m d'aubecourt accustomed to take his meals alone asserted that noise interfered with his digestion provided they were careful never to exceed a smile for a burst of laughter would make m d'aubecourt start as violently as a pistol shot and provided they never entered his private garden which he cultivated himself and where every day he counted the buds and the branches he could not without trembling see alphonse who was always impulsive and ever bustling from side to side go into it or even lucie whose shawl might accidentally catch and break some of the branches as she passed by madame d'aubecourt had been about six weeks at quicheville when she received a letter from her husband informing her that one of their relations little adelaide d'orly was living at a village two leagues off adelaide was at that time about the age of lucie she had lost her mother at her birth, and had been placed at nurse with a peasant on the estate of M. d'Orly. As she was extremely delicate, and had been benefited by the country air, she was left there a long time. The revolution having broken out, her father left France, and not being able to carry with him a child who was only three years old, he thought it best to leave her for the present with her nurse, hoping to be able to return soon and take her away. Things turned out otherwise, however. M. d'Orly died soon after his arrival in a foreign land. His property was sold, and Adelaide's nurse, having lost her husband, married again and left the province, taking Adelaide with her, as she was now her sole protector. For a long time it was not known where she had gone to, but at last it was ascertained, and M. d'Aubecourt, who had received information of it from another relative, begged his wife to see her. M. d'Orly was a nephew of old M. d'Aubecourt, and had been an intimate friend of his son's, whom, at his death, he had entreated to take care of his daughter. M. d'Aubecourt had several times mentioned the matter in his letters to his father, but the latter had remained silent on the subject, from which the son had concluded that he was ignorant of the fate of the child. Such, however, was not the case, for the nurse having discovered the year before that he was Adelaide's grand uncle, had come to see him m d'aubecourt who feared everything that might put him out of his way or lead to expense had tried to persuade himself that she had made a false statement and that adelaide was really dead as had been rumoured mademoiselle raymond who did not like children confirmed him in this opinion which possibly she believed to be well founded for we are always tempted to believe what we desire to be true the nurse having met with an indifferent reception and besides not caring to have adelaide whom she loved as her own child taken from her did not insist further and the child therefore remained with her as soon as madame d'aubecourt had received this intelligence she communicated it to her father-in-law at the same time informing him of her intention of going to see adelaide m. d'aubecourt appeared embarrassed and mademoiselle raymond who happened to be in the room assured her that the roads were very bad and that she would never be able to get there madame d'aubecourt saw plainly that they were already in possession of the information which she had supposed herself the first to communicate and she also perceived that her project was not very agreeable to m d'aubecourt nevertheless however great might be her desire to oblige him she did not consider herself justified in renouncing her intention her extreme gentleness of disposition did not prevent her from possessing great firmness in everything that she considered a duty she set out then one morning with Lucie, who was enchanted at making acquaintance with her cousin, and with Alphonse, who was delighted at having to travel four leagues on foot. As they approached the village, they asked each other what kind of person their cousin was likely to be, brought up as she was among the peasantry. "'Perhaps something like that,' said Alphonse, pointing to a young girl, who in company with two or three little boys ran out to see them pass.' There was a pool of water by the side of the road where they were walking, and the children, in order to see them closer, ran into it, splashing them all over. Alphonse wanted to throw stones at them, but his mother prevented him. "'It would be a good joke,' said he, "'if it turned out to be my cousin, at whom I was going to throw stones.' Lucie exclaimed against such an idea, and one of the little boys, having called the girl Marie she was comforted by thinking that it was not her cousin Adelaide d'Orly whom she had seen dabbling about with a troop of idle urchins on reaching the cottage in which Adelaide's nurse lived they found her laid up with an illness resulting from debility and from which she had suffered for six months madame d'Aubecourt having given her name the poor woman recognized her and said she was thankful to see her before she died and that finding herself unable to go out it had been her intention to ask the mayor to write to M. D'Aubecourt. for, said she, my child, it was thus she always called Adelaide, will have no one to look to when I am gone. She had lost her second husband, and had no children of her own, and she did not doubt that her brother-in-law would come and take possession of everything, and turn her child out of doors, who would not then have even bread to eat, for she had nothing to leave her. And the poor woman began to weep she added that she had been to see m d'aubecourt who had not listened to her and she went on to complain of the cruelty of adelaide's relations who thus left her a burden upon a poor woman like her madame d'aubecourt interrupted her to inquire whether she had any documents the nurse showed her an attestation from the mayor and twelve of the principal inhabitants of the parish which she had left certifying that the child whom she took with her was truly the daughter of m d'orly and baptized under the name of marie adélade and also another from the mayor of the parish in which she was now residing certifying that the girl living with her under the name of marie was the same that she brought with her into the parish and whose age and description corresponded exactly with those of marie adélade d'orly marie exclaimed lucie when she heard this name yes indeed said the nurse the holy virgin is her true patron she has saved her in a dangerous illness this is her only name in the village lucie and her brother looked at each other and alphonse began to laugh amused at the idea of having been on the point of throwing stones at his cousin at this moment marie made her appearance singing in a loud voice and carrying a fagot which she had gathered she threw it down as she entered and was somewhat astonished on seeing with her nurse the very ladies whom she had splashed and the young gentleman who was going to throw stones at her embrace your cousin marie said the nurse if mademoiselle will be so good as to allow you marie did not advance a step nor lucie either oh she also is made to wear fine clothes continued the nurse but what more could a poor woman like me do Madame d'Aubecourt assured her that all the family were under great obligations to her, and Lucie, on a sign from her mother, went blushing and embraced her cousin. It was not pride that had at first withheld her, but the idea of having a peasant cousin had astonished her, and everything that astonished also embarrassed her. Marie, equally surprised, had allowed herself to be kissed without moving or without returning the salutation. Madame D'Aubecourt took her by the hand, and drew her kindly towards her, remarking how much she resembled her father. The resemblance, in fact, was striking. Marie was very pretty. She had fine, dark, brilliant, though at the same time very soft eyes. But the way in which she had been brought up had given a certain brusquery to her manners. She had beautiful teeth, and would have had a pretty smile had it not been spoiled by awkwardness shyness and the habit of making grimaces. Her complexion, somewhat sunburnt, was animated and glowing with health. She was well-formed, tall for her age, and had it not been for her awkward carriage, would have displayed nobility even under her coarse dress. It was impossible to make her raise her head, or answer a single word to Madame Daubecourt's questions. Her nurse was in despair. "'That is the way with her,' she said. If she takes a thing into her head you will never get it out of it and she began scolding marie who did not appear in the slightest degree moved by what she said madame d'aubecourt made an excuse for her on account of her embarrassment and said that she had a gentle look the nurse immediately began praising her with as much warmth as she had displayed in scolding her marie smiled and looked at her with affection but still without saying a word or stirring from her place Madame D'Aubecourt promised the nurse that she would soon hear from her again, and took away the documents relating to Marie, and which the nurse, with some hesitation, confided to her. She felt sure that she should be able to induce her father-in-law to receive Marie. He was her nearest relative in France, and it was quite impossible that he should not feel what duty required of him in regard to her. Still, she well knew how much annoyance this would cause him the children could talk of nothing else during their return to Guicheville and m d'Aubecourt awaited with some anxiety the result of the visit he had nothing to oppose to the proofs she brought with her nevertheless he said that further information was necessary madame d'Aubecourt wrote to every one whom she thought likely to give her any all agreed with the first there was therefore no longer any doubt of marie's being really adelaide d'orly then m d'Aubecourt said i will think of it but the nurse, feeling herself worse, and not hearing from Madame d'Aubecourt, who had been prevented from going to see her by a severe cold, had got the mayor to write to Monsieur d'Aubecourt. It was also known, since Marie had been talked about, at the château, how much people complained in the neighbourhood of his neglect of his grand-niece. Madame d'Aubecourt's visit to the nurse had spread the intelligence that at last he was going to receive her, he heard this mentioned by the registrar by the curé, and especially by mademoiselle raymond who was much annoyed at it and who consequently was perpetually talking of it in order therefore to get rid of a subject which tormented him he gave his consent in a moment of impatience and madame Daubecourt hastened to take advantage of it for she felt extremely anxious about the situation of marie and grieved that so much time should not merely be lost to her education but actually employed in giving her a bad one having sent to inform the nurse of the day on which she would fetch marie madame d'aubecourt and her children set off one morning mounted upon donkeys the one that was to carry marie being mounted by a peasant girl whom madame d'aubecourt had engaged to attend the nurse during her illness which she was grieved to see would not be of long duration as she could not reward her for all that she had done for Marie, she wished at least to do all that was in her power for her. She had already sent her some medicines suited to her condition, and some provisions rather more delicate than those to which she was accustomed, and she had learned with great satisfaction that this good woman was in comparatively easy circumstances. When they reached the cottage they found the door locked. They knocked, but remained for some time unanswered and madame d'aubecourt began to feel excessively uneasy for she feared the nurse might be dead and in that case what had become of marie at length the nurse herself notwithstanding her debility came and opened the door telling him that she had been obliged to fasten it as on the previous day marie imagining that it was the one fixed for her departure had fled from the house and did not return until night and she had been anxious to prevent the recurrence of the same thing on that day Marie was standing in a corner, her eyes swollen and red with crying. She no longer wept, but stood perfectly motionless and silent. Madame d'Aubecourt approached, and gently endeavoured to induce her to accompany them, promising that she should return to see her nurse. Lucie and Alphonse went to kiss her, but she still continued fixed and silent. Her nurse exhorted her, scolded her, and then began to grieve and weep at the idea of losing her, but all this did not extract a single syllable from Marie. Only when she saw her nurse weep, the tears rolled down her own cheeks. At length, Madame d'Aubecourt, seeing that nothing was to be gained by these means, went over to her, and taking her by the arm, said in a firm tone, Come, come, Marie, this will not do. Have the kindness to come with me immediately. Astonished at this authoritative tone, to which she was not accustomed, Marie allowed herself to be led. Alphonse took her other arm, saying, "'Come along, cousin.' But when she came near her nurse, she threw her arms round her, weeping and sobbing as if her heart would break. The nurse wept as violently as the child, and Madame D'Aubecourt, though herself greatly affected, was nevertheless obliged to exercise her authority in order to separate them. At length Marie was mounted on her donkey. She went on in silence, only now and then allowing large tears to escape from her eyes. By degrees, however, she began to laugh at the caracoles which Alphonse endeavoured to make his animal perform. All at once, Lucie's donkey began to bray, and was going to lie down. Marie jumped off hers before either of the others, and ran to Lucie's assistance, who was crying out and unable to retain her seat. She scolded and beat the animal, and at length reduced him to obedience but perceiving that he was about to recommence she insisted that lucie should mount hers which was more gentle saying that she would soon manage the other this little incident established a good understanding between the two cousins marie began to be cheerful and to defy alphonse in the race and had quite forgotten her griefs and troubles when on arriving at guicheville the sight of Mademoiselle raymond and m d'aubecourt again rendered her silent and motionless she was, however, soon roused by Mademoiselle Raymond's dog, who came forward barking with all his might. Like the generality of dogs brought up in the house, he had a great antipathy to ill-dressed people, and Marie's dress quite shocked him. He rushed upon her, as if about to bite her, but Marie gave him so violent a kick that it sent him howling into the middle of the room mademoiselle raymond ran forward and took him up in her arms with a movement of anger which sufficiently announced all she was going to say and which she would have said without hesitation had not the presence of madame d'aubecourt in some degree restrained her alphonse forestalled her by saying that if her dog had been better brought up he would not have drawn such treatment upon himself mademoiselle raymond could no longer contain herself madame d'aubecourt by a sign imposed silence upon her son who was about to reply this sign though not addressed to mademoiselle raymond nevertheless obliged her also to restrain her feelings and she left the room carrying with her her dog and her resentment from this moment war was declared zizi who did not forget the kick which marie had given him never saw her without showing his teeth and if he came too near her another kick sent him off again without softening his resentment alphonse never met him without threatening him either with his hand or his cane and mademoiselle raymond constantly occupied in running after her dog and protecting him from his enemies had not a moment's repose between her fears for zizi's safety and her aversion for marie whose follies she eagerly seized upon and marie's follies were almost as frequent as her actions However, she did not often commit any before M. d'Aubecourt. She scarcely dared either to speak or move in his presence. At meals, during the first few days, it was impossible to make her eat, but as soon as they had risen from table, she could take a large slice of bread and eat it while running in the garden, where Alphonse speedily joined her. With him she agreed better than with anyone else in the house— both were gay, livery, thoughtless, and enterprising, and vied with each other in all kinds of tricks and follies. Marie, who was very expert, taught Alphonse to throw stones at the cats as they ran along the leads, and during this apprenticeship he had twice managed to break some panes of glass, one of which belonged to the window of Mademoiselle Raymond's room. In return he taught his cousin to fence, and they often entered the house with their faces all scratched. Marie also had a method of pinning up her dress so as to enable her to climb upon the trees and walls Madame d'Aubecourt sometimes surprised her while engaged in this amusement and reprimanded her severely Marie immediately became quiet and modest for she felt great respect for Madame d'Aubecourt and would never have thought of disobeying her to her face but as soon as she was out of sight whether from thoughtlessness or from not being aware of the necessity of obedience a thing to which she had never been accustomed she seemed to forget all that had been said to her. Alphonse occasionally reminded her of it, and to him she willingly listened, for she had great confidence in him. Neither was she obstinate, but she had never been taught to reflect, and her thoughts seldom extended beyond the moment, so that when she took a fancy into her head she could think of nothing else. She spoke but little, and was almost constantly in motion. Motion, indeed, seemed to constitute her very existence. When her timidity compelled her to remain quiet, this repose was not turned to any advantage in the way of reflection. The constraint she felt absorbed her mind, and she could think of nothing but the speediest means of escaping from it. Unlike other children, she made no remarks on what she saw around her. When asked whether she did not think the Chateau de Guicheville much more beautiful than her nurse's cottage, she replied that she did. Still, she never thought of enjoying its comforts and conveniences and she had more pleasure in sitting upon the tables than upon the chairs Madame d'Aubecourt had a frock made for her like the everyday dress worn by lucie and she was delighted at seeing herself attired like a lady but she always managed to have it too much on one side or the other while the string belonging to the neck was very usually tied with that which belonged to the waist she was constantly forgetting to put her stockings on and her hair, which had been cut and arranged, was almost always in disorder. A pair of stays had been made for her, and she allowed them to be put on without any opposition, for she never resisted. But the moment afterwards the lace was burst and the bones broken. They were mended two or three times, and at length given up. On one occasion Madame D'Aubecourt had sent her, accompanied by Gauton, to see her nurse. While the girl was gone into the village to execute a commission, marie made her escape into the fields in order to avoid being taken back half a day was consumed in seeking for her and everything was in commotion at guicheville on account of the uneasiness occasioned by her protracted absence End of chapter fourteen part one